Hi, everybody. Welcome to Norma Jean Discovering Truth. I'm Nina Bosky, the producer of the series. I'm Randall Libero, one of the other producers of the series. And I'm Gary Vitaco Robles, the third producer and author of Icon, the Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe. And as you heard, also Gary is a mental health professional and is giving commentary with the episodes, but the after show. So the first episode, guys, this is a really a big episode. It's called Please Let Me Out. Why do you think we chose this episode? Why, why did we do that, guys? I really wanted to start at a point in Marilyn's life that was a turning point for her. Um, when you do a biography of any famous person, the turning points are always the most interesting moments because it is the moment that they are becoming another person, changing from who they were before into a person who they, in their terms of their own personal evolution. Gary, what was the feeling for you? Well, we opened in 1961, which was a culmination of Maryland's mental health challenges, and it allowed for us to flash back into earlier segments of her life to have a better understanding of all of the events and the traumas and the family history that led her to that point. So it, it, it was a perfect vehicle to um, flash back onto earlier portions of her life. Yeah, because she was also going at that time, she was getting a divorce from Arthur Miller, right? She had a suicide attempt. I mean, there were some big things happening in her life back in 1961. Yeah, and uh, in the writing of it, uh, one of the things I realized is that there were a number of major events. I mean, the divorce from Miller being one, the death of Clark Gable being another, which is in the episode that we talk about. Oh, and, yeah. And then a few years before that was her when she lost her baby. So, Gary, why don't you give us some detail about that? Because people may not remember that. Marilyn had a miscarriage uh, during the summer of 1957. And while she was on production in Some Like It Hot, she was pregnant again. And uh, this pregnancy uh, was of longer duration than the earlier one. And she lost the child uh, just before Christmas 1958, which was a significant loss in her life and approaching an understanding that it was less than likely that she would be able to carry a child to term. Well, and if you think about that, right, one of the biggest things that Marilyn wanted was to be a mother. And that was must have been a really big blow. Yeah, she wanted to be a, a, a wife and a mother. And um, she suffered from endometriosis since her adolescence. And that created a barrier to her carrying a child to term. And she was involved uh, in this period during her marriage to Arthur Miller. And uh, this was her opportunity to raise a child to have a better life than the life she had lived. And that you're going to, we're going to have this unfold in, especially in these first seven episodes that we're, we're revealing and unfolding to the public. Um, so Randall, I've got a question for you uh, because it was through you that I met Gary Let's back up the truck just a little bit. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, so people can get to know us too, because sure. we're going to be sure. these, you know, after show companion podcasts. Okay. So how did, how did we all get connected? Cause I think that's important for them to know the audience to know. Well, I was watching life bites TV. That's really where I found out about you. I was interested because I was doing internet television as a producer before there was YouTube. And I was interested in anybody else who was on online doing some sort of a television show. And Life Bites was something that I had found. And I thought it was a really well-produced program and it was very fun, very enter entertaining. 
and you had some great guests. And I just reached out to you after that show. And eventually we met here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I told you uh, the story. We had been talking about it because I saw an episode that you did with women who dress up and look like Marilyn. That Do you want to hear something <laughs> really bizarre? I <laughs> did that? not remember that was our connection because I was sitting there thinking to myself, oh, yeah. how did we get connected? You know, I knew we started talking about Marilyn, but I didn't know how we got to talk about well, Marilyn. That, so. was, that was it. You had Holly Beaven and um, a few other ladies on the show as um, yeah. you know, Marilyn impersonators and and you had uh, the author of The Good Night Marilyn, uh, where The Good Night Marilyn movie came from. Yeah. And all that. And I, I just was very interested in that. And then when we got together, I told you my journey with Marilyn. It started with a documentary pilot, TV pilot that I, that I shot in 1986, where we visited her home in Brentwood. And actually, I got to be inside that house. That's a whole story in itself. And um, you know what's so so wild too, Randall, is that for the Marilyn fans, once Marilyn is in your system, she shows up everywhere, and that's why this is so such a interesting and and I don't want to say cosmic, but when we did get together, tell them what we saw. Oh, <laughs> this is one of those things when you work on productions that are meant to be, you find moments of synchronicity that happen. I've done that. I've been a producer since I got out of college, and I've seen this this strange phenomenon happen over and over again. So I had called a very famous old hotel in Phoenix to um, to find out what was going on that day and make sure there wasn't a big business convention or anything going on. And I said, is there, a, you have a restaurant there that has pictures of old movie stars in it, right? Um, the the um, concierge said that kind of, but you know, we've got a big exhibit happening today with Marilyn Monroe. And I said, you what? <laughs> you what? You what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, because I just called my wife actually suggested that we should meet over at the Phoenician. It was the Phoenician Resort and off Camelback because I didn't even know. So I just called that morning and and that's what he told me. So I went over to the hotel and I said, were you the guy I talked to on the phone? He said, yeah, yeah. And I said, what are you talking about? And I walked into this gallery off of the main <laughs> lobby and there's these giant paintings in Maryland there. And I like said, 40 feet tall. Yeah, I mean, yeah just, they're huge. Yeah. And there was huge. a whole, there was about 20 or 30 of them. Very colorful and all that. We have a picture of ourselves in front of one of them, matter of fact. I um, know. And you came in and I, and when you walked in and I met you in the middle of the, the big lobby, the big room there. And I said, remember I told you that there's this thing that happens around Maryland and all that? And you said, yeah. I said, and, and then you walked around the corner and your jaw just hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Surrounded by Maryland. It's like, you know, yeah. and I said, I didn't know that about this was here until this morning. And, oh, and you looked at me like, really? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of things happen like this. And um, Gary, I had known because uh, he wrote a book about Maryland's house, which I loved. So, Gary, why don't you talk about that book a little bit? Because it's one of your other, that was your first book about Maryland. That was my dress rehearsal for Icon. So this was a, a little book, Cursuum Perficio, Marilyn Monroe's Brentwood Hacienda. And that was published, uh, the first edition was in 1999. And then there was a second edition in uh, 2003. And I remember receiving a phone call from you, Randall, on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, you were telling me about a radio show that you were involved in and you asked me to become um, to be a guest or a panel member and my publisher uh, of icon had sent me a pamphlet 52 action steps that a writer should take and and they all involved um, doing the radio circuit so during that time I had appeared 
on some uh, national and international radio shows and I was beginning to have a little experience. And so you called me up. I remember hanging in there and you had a really good soul and you really seemed to love Marilyn. And, and I was remembering my 52 action steps that I need to take. So I took a deep breath and we had a really great conversation mm -hmm. and you were really open to my perspective, my mental health perspective on Marilyn and her death. And so we had this immediate connection. And so um, you put me in touch with Nina. And I remember shortly thereafter, Nina and I having a conversation. I was sitting in my kitchen and we had a, a, an immediate um, affinity towards each other. I felt like, Nina, I had known you for years and you're telling me about Goodnight Maryland Radio and would I be um, a panel member? And I said, absolutely. Wild. You know, you think about how that connected. So so for the audience, that's how we all got connected. And mm -hmm. from there, we did three seasons of Goodnight Maryland Radio, which you might have heard in the intro. But what we wanted to do is do something different. And we wanted to do it around Gary's book. And so we got together. And at first, we thought, this is going to be a discussion and a, a talk similar to what we're doing right now. And then we gave it over to Randall from what uh, Gary's work was and really kind of all the elements. And Randall, why don't you take it from there and tell them how we came up with this concept? Because it's a little bit different. Well, yeah, it is different because we had imagined a prototype type episode, which is a little bit of conversation a little bit of a narrator telling a story and maybe, you know, a couple of dramatic scenes illustrate a few um, pivotal moments in the story that we were telling about uh, 1961 in Marilyn's life. And as we made this prototype episode, and it took us, you start a project, you don't even know what it's going to be like. It, it evolves. It has it takes on a life of its own. And it so, sure did. And it sure did. <laughs> and, um, and we wrote the episode. Gary and I wrote it together. So we're the co-writers of this series. Um, Nina is our third voice in it that says, I like this, I don't like this, or make this better, or whatever. So that's how she chimes in. But you also, Nina, you also have some really good suggestions for scenes, and a lot of major changes happen because of your input. You're sort of our um, behind-the-scenes collaborator on the writing. We didn't know where we were going to go after the first episode. How are we going to cover the rest of Marilyn's life? How are we going to tell the story? So as we wrote the particular story of this period of Marilyn's life, I thought, we should put dialogue in here, you know? You get into character dialogue. And I thought, as we were doing research, one of the pieces of research that I had was this letter uh, that's dated March 1st, 1961, which is a, a letter that Marilyn had wrote about her experience at Payne Whitney that she wrote to Dr. Greenson. Is that correct, Gary, that she wrote it? That is, yeah, yeah, a very riveting six-page letter in, in great detail. So out of that letter, Marilyn describes these events that she lived through at the Payne Whitney Clinic. The more I read that, I thought, this would be really cool if we just make it a dramatic scene. So Gary and I talked a lot about this, hours and hours and hours about how to, how to do this, because as we're figuring this out, we had to think about, what do we do after this? Where is the story going to go? And that sort of became a conundrum. So I said, let's just get, let's do this story and see what happens. As a writer, you kind of have to wait because the story will tell you what it wants to be. Like I said, it takes on a life of its own. So we got the episode. I got the music. I got, we got actors to read stuff. We found Aaron Gavin in to play Marilyn, who was absolutely wonderful, as you heard in episode one, and a host of other wonderful actors who joined us. And, um, Great actors, actually. Yeah, Some really. Really good ones. Really Phenomenal actors. Just, so when I started hearing the actors, I thought, 
God, this this is this is really good. It's like and it's and we, different. And it's different. And people were listening to the prototype episode, like my wife and friends and you know, people who we know and love in our circle. So out of that we started thinking, all right, where are we gonna go? And as as we had mapped out the series, the original series that, that that's available now for you to listen to uh, in season one, those episodes all changed from what we had imagined originally, and they became more dramatic. Uh, matter of fact, the scene between Joe and Marilyn in the restaurant when they meet again for the first time after many, many years— that scene was not in there. It was not in the prototype episode. Gary said, wouldn't it be great if we actually dramatized that? Because it's just it was just originally referred to. The narrator, the narrator was talking, yeah. saying that. And my, my dad, I played it for my 90-year-old dad, and he, he listened to the episode, and both of us looked at each other, and he said, boy, wouldn't it be great if DiMaggio was actually speaking? And I thought, yeah, we need to have that conversation between Marilyn and Joe. So I had remembered um, some notes that Joe DiMaggio had taken. Um, he wrote them inside a Sports Illustrated magazine that had gone to auction. And they were notes following some psychotherapy sessions that he had, where he was instructing himself on changes that he needed to make if he wanted to have a relationship with Marilyn post their divorce. And so uh, this seemed to be the ideal place in the story to share that information. And, and this is where we took some liberties in having Marilyn and Joe actually review his list. Now, we don't really know that that happened, but we do know that um, he did make the list and all of the dialogue um, was based upon his list of items that he needed to take action on. Right. Hey guys, a quick question for for you is one of the things I think we should explain to the audience, most of the dialogue that we are writing is taken from somewhere like the letters from this list, et cetera. But there is some creative uh, liberties, liberties, right? So why don't you guys talk to that? Well, Randall, I think over time, you and I found Marilyn's voice in writing for her. It was a little challenging at first, but in, in listening to all the George Belmont interviews that, that she did, we had a sense of how she spoke naturally and so I think yes. her character developed uh, rather easily. And in outlining my book, I think we were able to take out sections and, and dramatize it. So everything's based upon fact. Everything's based upon a source document. We tried to be as historically accurate, as accurate to Marilyn as possible. Right. And I think right. that will resonate with her fans. Yeah. And also, I think really uh, the thing that I noticed about listening to the episode, and we all know a lot about Marilyn at this point, what I love about the episodes is it humanizes her instead of putting her on this kind of uh, conspiracy theory uh, path or this glamorous movie star path, it really gives you a lot of insight into who she was. And that was our intent. Yeah. Our in- intent was to do justice to Marilyn and to use her voice whenever possible and to use um, sources that were legitimate. I would like to think that she would approve of the direction that we went. I think it's a very unique approach. I don't think it's been captured by any other dramatizations on the screen or on television. I think we're trying to get as true to her essence as we possibly can. 
or as anybody possibly can. I mean, when you look at the research, there's been so much written about her newspaper articles. There are several notebooks which have gone to auction that are now public and published and all those things. And also there's recordings. of There's a tremendous amount of material on the Internet especially YouTube videos. There are, there are people who have dedicated YouTube channels who maintain them, putting up videos about her life and photographs and everything. So we extensively researched, and I found out about so many things by some of these channels and things that have written about blogs and articles, and the fan clubs are posting things, and we have to uh, talk about the Mortal Maryland and Maryland Remembered fan clubs. Thank you for all of our help and things that you found uh-huh. <laughs> out there. Really appreciate that. So and all, was, yeah, all these was, places. What was so helpful is that over the years, there's there's been many auctions in which Maryland's actual journals and writing and correspondence to others and from others are now revealed and available. And that information was not available to previous um, biographers. I mean, the first, I think, very large auction was the Christie's auction in 1999, Mm -hmm. and then several other Julian's auctions. And Mm -hmm. of course, we actually found Marilyn's diary. There had been all this talk about the alleged diary in in the 19. 70s and we actually found Marilyn's Mm. journals. Yes. They went to auction and we were able to see them at the auction houses Mm -hmm. and and pages were duplicated and published. And so Mm -hmm. we really do have her thoughts and her words. I want to commend the two of you for the audience members that are listening to this for the first time. They just alluded to the fact that there's so much information out there and the challenge that these two had and have had is to really check, double check, triple check the sources. And a lot of people out there don't do that. And I just want to commend you guys for doing that because it's it's a lot of work to do that type of research and make sure you get it right. And it's a tremendous responsibility when you're doing a biography of um, a person's life. I, I think, you know, you have to honor that person and respect that person and do justice by them. It was and she just, really hasn't had a lot of justice. I mean, she's been exploited. No, no, quite and, a bit. you know, my my yeah. inspiration was to to have a corrective experience, and I and I think it needed to come from um, a male author because I believe that so many previous male biographers had maligned her, really just not understand her. Um, and I think another really great approach that we have that not any other biographer that I know of has is the mental health perspective. And as we heard in episode yeah. one and the other episodes, we're going to have you as the commentary. A lot of people are still very they don't have enough knowledge about what bipolar and borderline personality is. Gary, why don't you define that for the audience so they can start to understand Marilyn's mental illness? Well, borderline personality disorder is, um, it's an identity disorder. And so it it really uh, creates challenges in interpersonal relationships. There's impulsivity, there's challenges in regulation of emotions. And this results from uh, early childhood trauma and the lack of secure attachments with primary caregivers. Folks with this disorder really need uh, external validation. They're unable to provide that for themselves. And, you know, with that disorder often comes some self-injurious behaviors or um, suicidal gestures, which in some instances are a cry for help or the desire to end severe emotional pain in that moment. And so 
you know, that diagnosis uh, wasn't accepted in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders until 1980, but the research on it had gone on for decades, and it was discussed in the late 30s, and providers were treating its symptoms for many years before it was in included in, in the DSM in 1980. And we do know from Dr. Greenson's uh, correspondence uh, regarding his treatment of Marilyn that he was identifying symptoms which right now are congruent with that diagnosis. The other diagnosis likely for Marilyn was bipolar disorder. This diagnosis was discussed with me by Hyman Engelberg, who was Marilyn's internist in the last few years of her life. And of course, you heard in the episode that bipolar disorder involves episodes of major depression and mania or hypomania and also states in which major depression and mania are occurring at the same time. This is a mood disorder. This is a biologically based disorder that involves impulsivity and mood swings and poor judgment. And Gary, I think one of the things that I think is really important about these two diagnoses is a lot of people will say, and we're not gonna have enough time to get into it in this episode, but a lot of people will say, oh, well, she seems so happy the last day of her life, and they don't really get the complexity of her issues. No, well, what we know about um, these disorders is that they involve impulsivity. And impulsivity is something that changes on a dime in the moment. And mood disorders involve fluctuations. And I think what's unique about the comorbidity of these diagnoses these two diagnoses is that they kind of fuel the fires of, of each diagnosis. So someone having bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder and a likely addictive disorder at the same time, there is a compound impact of these multiple diagnoses. And we'll and, be talking about this too in the upcoming you know, after show podcast and we can get a lot more into it too. And I think for Marilyn's case, there's such stigma associated with mental illness and denial in the culture. And I think there's many folks who would prefer to believe that she did not have these disorders. And I think that's also part of the story to truly understand her. One needs to have an appreciation of how she functioned with these disorders during a time when the, the treatments were just so limited and they had these disorders had impacted multiple members of her family. Yeah. And we know that these, um, at least the bipolar disorder is intergenerational. Her mom um, suffered from yep. schizophrenia. So I think that with this, it'll not only be important to understand Marilyn, but if you're dealing with a mental illness or you have a loved one that has a mental illness and or addiction, this series could really enlighten you as well to some of the symptoms and some of the areas that you might be able to relate to Marilyn. So Randall, what closing thoughts do you have for us as we kind of wrap this episode sure, up? Sure, sure. I just... Um want to say that what Gary was just talking about is an essential part of the flow of what's going to happen as you listen to this series and other episodes. Gary's offering commentary on what you're hearing going on dramatically. You hear the supportive information to understand why things are happening, how things are happening to Marilyn, what's going on inside of her head, how she's behaving, especially as a young girl. Because when I was writing this, it was 
extremely sad to write about some of these things and, and the d- detail that we had to explore. And it, it's helping me it's to intense. Under- yeah, helping me to understand. We realize where why are there so many problems in the world today? And you realize that everyone you meet has got something going on. A friend of mine says, "Everyone's fighting a secret war you know nothing about." You know, we we all have parts of parts of our lives that are extremely um, challenging mentally, emotionally. Um, so we're going through and telling the story of a very famous person, very influential person, of the struggles that she had. And we're doing our best to be as accurate as possible in terms of the facts and the history and the actual events. We use Marilyn's words as much as we can if they're available. And Gary, you know, is giving uh, that perspective. So especially here, these circumstances of her young life, I think that I'd say just prepared to get the tissues out. It's going to be challenging listen, listening to the series because we go into some pretty intense places. Yeah. And, it, and it's yeah. from a trauma-informed perspective. And in the last uh, 30 years or so of research, we now have better insight into complex trauma and how that impacts a child and then that child as they develop through their lifespan and unfortunately, you know, previous biographers didn't have that insight. That insight might not have been available at the time, but we know so much more now. And we know now that people don't have to suffer in silence because we understand the complexities of trauma and mental illness. And there are so many effective treatment options for people. So we're also trying to break down the, the stigma and the denial and the minimization of these issues and bring them to the forefront. And I think, I think Marilyn would truly support that. And she would probably um, lend her name to that kind of public awareness. All right. This is a wrap for this uh, first Norma Jean Discovering Truths. This is our first one here. Please let me out as the episode and please give it a listen and the other episodes as well. And also give us your comments about the series and specifically the episodes on Facebook, which is Marilyn Behind the Icon, or our website, which is Behind the Icon. And the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number is 800 273 8255 or 800-273-TALK. So until next time, hold a good thought for Marilyn and hold a good thought for yourself. 